1: That's Bob Bennett, who's going to be joining us in the next hour on uh, Southern California Live uh, as we've been talking about the the origin, the the history of contemporary Christian music, how God has used it. We're talking about the film that's coming out this weekend, and we're talking about uh, about God's work through Christian music over time. Uh, So looking forward to talking to somebody who was was there in the beginning days of contemporary Christian music. That's Bob Bennett, who's going to be joining us in the next hour here on Southern California Live. And look forward to hearing from you as well. Some of you um, were a part of those early days of Christian music, either in the audience or some of you were were a part of it as as players. And we'd love to have you join us. Our number is 888-52-TALKS, 888 528 two five five seven as we talk about this. But I know all of us have been marked by there there are songs we look back on that that marked and shaped our lives in profound ways. Ways that God in the middle of of distress, in in the middle of of discouragement, in the middle of a trial, God comes and speaks to us through a song. There's a, a line from a song that will echo in our hearts. And and uh, that's how God uses music in some pretty remarkable ways. We're going to talk about that uh, in our next hour here on KKLA, KKLA Live. Uh, excuse me, Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. And uh, and we do have, I, I think we're moving right into this, right, Wilbert? we are moving right ahead. Bob Bennett is joining us on, on uh, the program this afternoon. Robert, welcome to uh, Southern
2: California Live. Good afternoon, Bob. Nice to talk to you.
1: And and if, uh, if 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 the audience can hear him, I can't. So, we're working out the technical details here to get it up there. Robert, you okay. there? There we All go. All good. We got you now, buddy.
2: All righty. Great to talk to you, Bob. Man, I I uh, it, it, the audience should know uh, you're not only a wonderful broadcaster for many years on end, but we've been friends forever and a day and until I can get in the same room with you this is a great great uh great way to hang out together and to uh get a chance to talk to the huge KKLA audience
1: well and it, it's great to have you on here I know a lot of our listeners uh go all the way back to the beginning of Christian music you were you were around maybe not at the uh, at the birth but certainly in the toddler years of Christian music
2: that's a, that's a great way to put it. What I tell people, you know, it, when you when you get forty years down the line, then I get happily lumped in with all of the original folks. But the fact is, I'm kind of their kid brother. Um, not only in terms of being a couple years younger, but also I, um, you know, I was listening to everything that they were doing, watching the, the the trails that they were blazing. Although I didn't quite, I wouldn't have put it that way at the time. But with all this uh, uh, perspective all these years later, that's exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'm a musician. I love Jesus. I want to do that, too. And so I came along kind of a second a second wave, if you will, of uh, artists. The, the The folks that we know and revere have al- had already been there and done that by the time I ever got on the scene.
1: I, Bob, I told our listeners earlier, uh, my first Christian concert, 1975, Barry Maguire opened up by the second chapter of Acts in, in Oklahoma. Um, that was my first exposure to contemporary Christian music. That's pretty early in the day. Do you remember your first Christian concert?
3: You know,
2: my, I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact one, but the one that I would name is the first is um, I literally, you know, I live in Southern California. Uh, uh, our uh, local listeners here in uh, Southern California, I was born and raised in Downey, and um, now I live behind the Orange Curtain in Orange County. But I had already heard about a Calvary Chapel, and this was after the tent. I didn't make it into the tent years, but this was after the new building was still new. And um, they had Saturday night concerts that were hosted. Um, at first, Tom Stipe was doing them, and then Jim Kempner took over. And the one that I remember was Gentle Faith. And, um, and I remember going with my roommate, Dan Ruppel, who was one of the founders of the comedy team, uh, Isaac Garfreight. We were roommates at the time. And what I remember, even as much as the music, is that when the concert ended and, uh, and, and the people who had come forward to accept Christ were all standing in the front and filing into the prayer room off to the side of the stage— the artists actually went into the prayer room, and began to to pray and hang out with the people that were there. Well, this this is not wasn't a very usual thing that we were used to seeing, and it made a huge impression on me. Even even before it ever occurred to me that I could do something like this, that made a big impression on me.
1: So, so let me back things up. Um, when Larry Norman in nineteen sixty eight releases the first kind of contemporary christian rock album that anybody's ever heard and everybody goes what do we do with this and the record company's not sure what to do with it and there's no industry and none of this is going on so how old were you and what was going were you listening to the radio were you playing guitar at this time what was your faith journey like at that point
2: well i started playing guitar when i was 10 years old and um my story is like a lot of people um i was raised roman catholic and um unlike many people, I don't have a bad thing to say about it, but there were certain things that were emphasized and certain things that were not. I didn't know that until later, but, um, but because I was kind of, you know, you know, we we have to go to church now. You have to go to church. So when I reached my teenage years and had my rebellion, then of course, church is one of the things that I rebelled against and I really didn't have much to do with it. And then you'll, I think you'll understand what I mean. When you're a young person, all of a sudden, you know, the, the more abstract you make God, the less definition, the more what you think he thinks agrees with you. Well, then that gives you license to sow your wild oats and do all your weird stuff and all that. So I always knew there was a God, but, but he was totally at arm's length. And, uh, and the only prayers were like, if I thought I was going to get in a car accident or something, of course— <laughs> You know, they say there are no atheists in foxholes, so you know I had that. So I was I was completely churchless and 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 not godless. He still had a hold of me. I just wasn't in the mood to see or know him. Um, but to make a long story slightly long, <laughs> um, what happened is that I was a roommates with um, my a friend Dan, my the aforementioned Dan Rubel, and we were living at a house in Downey, and he was going on his own kind of quest for some type of spiritual anchoring. Even at, even at our, you know, the tender age of like 21, 22 years old, we realized that something was missing in our lives. And Dan realized it before I did. So he kind of went God shopping, you know, it's like, well, let's check out uh, the Baha'i faith. Cause we dig seals and crops. Let's look at spiritism. Cause my uncle is a spiritism guy. And, as a matter of just sort of covering the bases, well, let's get my Bible down off the shelf. Well, the Bible had all of these and nows, and and he he wasn't, uh, you know, totally conversant in that. So he marched out and bought what was the the gold standard. I think it might have even been before the Living Bible. He marched out and got a copy of of Good News for Modern Man Mm -hmm. and started reading the New Testament in an English that he can understand. Well, I noticed that my party buddy and my lifelong you know, let's chase girls and and get successful in show business. All of a sudden, my my best buddy is talking about God, and we would have these long, earnest, completely clueless talks deep into the night (laughs) over all that that was happening. So I started to read the New Testament, and I said, wait a minute, I've heard all this stuff before. I was raised with this. I heard about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. I heard about the Lord's Supper. I heard about all this in catechism. And all of a sudden, I'm reading the New Testament, and I'm saying, you know, my problem with religion isn't Jesus. It's just the insanity of all of his followers. <laughs> and once I was able to make a distinction between Jesus and the gospel and the folly of human beings, that opened the door for me to to, to, to recognize my own sin and to uh, get serious about having a faith.
1: And And at this point in time, were you thinking— what I really want to be and to do is play guitar and be a troubadour and sing uh, pop folk songs for the rest of my life?
2: Absolutely. I wanted to be Dan Fogelberg Jr., Jackson Brown Jr. <laughs> you know, this was it was James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Stephen right. Bishop, you know, uh, all of those guys. The singer-songwriters were huge. In, in a sort of post-Beatles, not post-Beatles, but I mean after the Beatles had their seismic impact, then people writing their own songs became a very um, attractive to me. And, um, and so I, I had started writing songs, you know, when I was 10 years old and picked up a guitar and was learning to play. And, um, but, but, it, but there never occurred to me an intersection of my music and this new faith that I was wrestling with until I wound up at the aforementioned Calvary Chapel listening to all those artists and bands playing the light went on and i said ooh maybe i can do that
1: yeah good i could sing about jesus i i have never heard and and now have a uh, a curiosity i want to hear some of the back back catalog Uh, of bob bennett songs (laughs) some of the bc songs at some point you got to do this in in your saturday night live facebook shows or or some kind of mp3s of some of those songs from your when you were 18 and 19 singing about girls
2: oh man it was it was a lot of horrid unrequited love (laughs) you know stuff i mean it was just it, it was worse than bad poetry on on uh on uh you know notebook paper it was it was you know lots of she done me wrong and i can't live anymore and you know it's just it was, it's all it's all quite uh all quite bad <laughs> girls breaking up with
1: you that's the best that's the best thing for songwriters isn't it to have a girl break up with you
2: oh yeah yeah in fact the the cliche is if you're if you get your life straightened out and things start going good then then your life is better but the songs disappear you know um because you don't have all that adversity to a chronicle you know we're we're
1: talking to Bob Bennett this afternoon on Southern California Live and and many of you know many of you go back to the days in the in the late 70s early 80s when Bob became a recording artist and and began in fact we were talking about Amy Grant last hour you had you had a, a season, was it 84, when you were the opening act for Amy Grant's big tour?
2: The fall of 1985. I, I was the opening artist for 35 dates on the Unguarded tour, and there's a whole great story to tell about that. Um, but I, I love her. I, I, I'm not pals with her. I, can't, I don't roll into Nashville and, and go over to the house and stuff, but I would take a bullet for her. I just love her to death. <laughs>
1: So, so what's the story to tell about you opening for Amy Grant on the Unguarded Tour?
2: Well, I, I <laughs> let me see here. <laughs> well, well, that, what what <laughs> you know me, and you know that I, I have an odd sense of humor. Yes. And uh, what what was happening at the time is that I was about ready to put out a record. I was on Star Song Records, and I was recording an album that eventually became nonfiction, and it got held up in label. You know, purgatory, kind of. It got held right. up for a while and didn't get released. But, um, and, and I used to joke with friends that everybody seemed to know Amy Grant, because even then she was a big deal. And, um, and I said, you know, people are, you know, it's like I had lunch with Amy Grant. I played tennis with Amy Grant. <laughs> I lubed a car with Amy Grant. Why can't <laughs> I meet Amy Grant? So it came time for me to do a little video for the sales department at Word Records and Word Distribution, And I actually challenged the sales reps to a competition of a help Bob Bennett meet Amy Grant contest. (laughs) And um, so I did this totally smart alecky video about this. Well, as it turns out, she's on the unguarded tour on the first leg of it when Philip Bailey of earth, wind and fire was opening for them. Wow. And I find myself in Denver, Colorado playing at a small Presbyterian church. And sure enough, somebody brought amy grant to my concert and i guess she wanted to go (laughs) and so she's sitting in the back i'm so glad i didn't know because i would have been really nervous you know and um and i met her afterwards and we talked and stuff well then i get a phone call saying would you like to open up for amy grant on the unguarded tour well you know i mean the, the the staff at the arena was larger than most of my audiences. You know what I mean. It was like, <laughs> this was like, you know, this was this was like a big big deal. So I wound up doing thirty five dates. And what was so what? And and I found out later that that uh, Gary Chapman had a, a great deal to do with that as well, hmm. being the excellent singer songwriter that he is, and um, was attracted to some of my music. So I think he had a pretty good hand in, in uh, sort of getting the ball moving in that in that direction. But what was um, what was amazing about it is is this was during the high production unguarded eighties, and then here is mr um you know rotund uh, acoustic guitar <laughs> folk singing guy coming out on stage and singing and it was amazing that they even let me do it i mean i'm yeah. I'm stunned that they let me do it at all
1: and the crowd was thinking where's where's Amy with the leopard coat, and who's this guy just up there with this guitar
2: well. Well, I joked for years, and this was nothing to do with Amy at all, but I joked for years that that it was actually a nicknamed the uh, Bob Bennett and Get off the Stage tour because <laughs> what would happen is that any opening artist has a challenge because let's face it, unless you've got a really solid double bill, the crowd is there to see the headliner right right and so i uh, there would there would be no no discernible change in ambient audience noise from <laughs> Before the lights went down, before they inter- before and after they introduced me, when I played and after I finished, it was the same roar of, of audience indifference, and um, and and so I was quite dismayed because I thought they, they hate me, you know. I had that total Eeyore thing going. It's like <laughs> they just don't like me very much. And uh, but it, but it you know the old uh, that which does not kill you makes you stronger thing. I stayed for the entire 35 days. She was she and, and her staff and stuff were just just champions to me. I mean, they were just so great to me. But it was a little bit of a slog out there, and I learned some great – well, I, first of all, I learned that I wasn't supposed to be Arena Bob Bennett. Yeah. You know, that was a hard lesson to learn, but I'm not that guy. Yeah. And um, and I had to go do it and get and, and get a window into that world to recognize that that's not the level I was supposed to be working at. But, you know, there are some people that are built to do that stuff, and she – You know, she's one of those people that can do it if she wants to, you know. Bob
1: Bennett joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live on KKLA. And I know many of you listening, as I did, grew up listening to Bob sing and play guitar, the Troubadour songs, Come and See, was was that the first song to make it on Christian radio for you?
2: It was probably the first significant one. I had a little bit of airplay. On uh, "Carpenter Gone Bad" on the first album, and a few inspirational stations picked up. I know that "My Redeemer Lives," but "Come and See" was probably the first thing that sort of you know registered on, registered on the needle of airplay, and 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 uh, and got me introduced to you know a lot of people.
1: And a song that you wrote for a songwriting class, and and had to turn in like you wrote it the night before because it was due the next day, right?
2: That's right. I was working at the time with my friend Mike Aguilar, and we were taking a songwriting class, and that was the assignment. Write a song based on anything you can find in the Gospel of John, come back in two weeks for our next, ses- next session, and uh, play us your new song. So Michael and I, we wait till the night before the assignment is due. We pick up the New Testament, we turn to the Gospel of John, and we, we think, okay, here's our idea in the first chapter— because uh, no time, you know, no time to go further, <laughs> and wrote "Come and See," and um, I'm so pleased uh, that people have uh, continued to listen to it. And it just as a, a small footnote, um, I've sort of got my prayers crossed that, that that somebody might make the connection. I'm a huge, huge chosen fan, yeah. and um, I came to the party late, but I mean, I'm 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 already going through my second watching of the entire you know uh, episodes that exist as they are right now. And one of their major hashtags and uh, mission, the, sort of the short mission statement of their work, is "come and see." And I thought, boy, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, do the "hey, look at me, Bob Bennett" <laughs> thing. But if somebody made a natural connection between that and my little song, I always thought that would be kind of a cool thing. You'd be
1: okay <laughs> with that, Dallas Jenkins, if you're listening. Here's, here, just take take note of this. <laughs>
2: uh, um, well, you know, honestly, Bob, I, even if somebody. Even if the writers or somebody on the staff just hears the song and takes some comfort from it Hmm. and inspiration, that's great. You know. Everybody wants to hitch their wagon to something successful. So, you know, I don't want to be that guy. But if they if there was some kind of natural awareness that cropped up, that might be pretty cool.
1: We were talking in the last hour with John Irwin, the producer, director of the new documentary coming out in theaters this weekend called The Jesus Music. We were talking about Costa Mesa and how it, in some ways, was the Bethlehem of contemporary Christian music, where, where things were birthed, and talking about the fact that it was, it was a movement before it was an industry, and you were there while it was a movement, before it became an industry. So, so what, was the, what was the vibe like in those early days for those who were a part of that
2: Well, I mean, Bob, the most the most cliche answer and the easiest answer that doesn't have any nuance would be that it was Jesus music and we were just in it for the ministry and no one cared about money and all that. And then all of a sudden money got introduced and all the attendant problems. Well, I mean, in a sense that those words are are, are not untrue, but they don't I don't think they give the entire proper context of what was happening um, you know you you've been around artists enough in your career to know that that the, some of the most talented, incredibly anointed people and stuff, hey, we have egos, you know we we did, we didn't get up on a platform, any platform, whether it be in a club or a, a theater or a church or whatever, we didn't get in this to be anonymous, okay So um, so we you know there there is an element of performance, there's an element of a hey, look at me. I have something to say, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to like it, and I, and I might want you to like me too. Um, rather than hide that or try to dress it up in in, in, in our Sunday best, you know, um, I think we just get honest about the fact that um, that human communication and artistic communication um, works on a lot of different levels. And so, you know, there was no genre in the beginning to aspire to; there was no big company you went to. And you, would, and you would never say it this way. We were too smart to say it. But there was no place to go where you would say, make me a star in Jesus' name. <laughs> um, eventually, there were infrastructure and labels that grew up in genre. And, um, and uh, perha- perhaps, the, perhaps the best way to put it is that um, at, at a certain point when, when, when Jesus' music, you know, interlocked with the music business, then there were just some of the same problems attendant in that you know side of mu- the music business as there were in others and so the the thing might be governed by the language of ministry um but but it was also governed by big huge record contracts and and percentages and you know stuff you know agreements that would make the IRS blush you know <laughs> right in their complexity and so forth and i i don't see that as I don't fault anybody for that. I don't I don't sit back and and grumble and mutter their names under my breath. It just, um, we probably sometimes weren't as adept at navigating that business territory as we might have been. Um, but I think it's a matter, of, truthfully, it's a matter of God's faithfulness throughout the whole operation, yeah. whether it's dealing with good labels or business or ego or Competition or all the stuff we we might not want to talk about in polite company, the fact was God was just incredibly faithful to us, um,
3: wanna...
2: to 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 let us do these things, to serve people that He loves, to reach out to the lost. Um, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to even just be mentioned in the long list of people who who have done this.
1: I want to pick up on that and continue the conversation with our guest this afternoon, Bob Bennett. Singer, songwriter, recording artist uh, who is, is still singing and writing and still performing. In fact, we'll talk about his most recent virtual concert tour that is now, um, it, it's a year and a half uh, in, in the making. We'll talk about that after we take this time out. You're listening to Southern
3: California Live. I'm Bob Lapine, We'll be right back. Southern California Live on
1: KKLA, that's Bob Bennett, singer-songwriter Bob Bennett, with one of my favorite Bob Bennett songs. In fact, the the album Matters of the Heart, still in my top five list of all-time Christian music albums ever done, uh, and and Bob is joining us this afternoon on KKLA live. We're talking about the early days of Christian music. We're talking about the documentary that's in theaters this weekend called Jesus Music, The Jesus Music, produced by the Irwin Brothers. And uh, a lot of that began in Southern California back in the seventies. Some of you were part of that. Some of you were Bob Bennett fans back in the day, and some of you have continued because I've been there. Tell everybody what you've been doing on Saturday night, pretty much every Saturday night since COVID started, Bob.
2: Yeah, it's been a wonderful and a very unexpected story. Uh, I, I had been doing a, Facebook live streams for every, every once in a while, every two, three, four months for a couple of years. But when we turned the corner into March 2020, and you know, lockdown 15 days to slow, you know, flatten the curve and slow the spread. And <laughs> when all that was uh, in its infancy, and we were starting to take this seriously. On my 65th birthday, on March 21st in 2020, I sat in front of my uh, my computer, and I did a, a Facebook live stream, and I did something that will probably never be repeated. I sat there without getting up and I, and I played for almost three hours and 45 minutes and I talked to people. I read their comments. We chatted. Um, It was, it was amazing what happened. And when I finished it, I was so exhilarated and I thought, you know, there's a really good argument for me to not do this every week because I could wear out my welcome and, you know, who wants to just, you know, watch a guy on a guitar and, you know, I, I had all the stuff, I had all of the reasons to talk myself out of it. And I said, you know, no, I'm going to pretend like it's the old days. And, we, you, you know, the way that we used to watch television, we're old enough to remember this, most of us, it, it was what we called appointment television. Right. If you wanted to watch a certain program, you tuned it, As you sat down in front of your set at a certain time. There was no streaming, there was no video recording, there was nothing. You, you either were there or you missed it. And so I decided to uh, try to do one every weekend. So with one uh, missed weekend in June of 20, for the last 80 weeks, uh, I have done uh, 79 weekly uh, you know, Facebook live streams. And I didn't know I had a life online. I didn't know this could be a cool thing to do. <laughs> and it's just been marvelous. I can't tell you.
1: <laughs> and And some nights you've had a few dozen, and some nights you've had a few hundred who have been uh, finding their way in. Some people hang around for 15 minutes. Some people are there for an hour and a half as you go through all of this. But it's a great meetup online. I've been there a lot of Saturday nights as I'm doing sermon prep. I've got you as my background music and listening to this and commenting and, and, and putting in a request, and you've been kind to play some of those. So folks can find you on Facebook if they want to tune in on a Saturday night, right?
2: Yep. Generally speaking, um, um, it's on Saturdays at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, 7 p.m. Central, where you are. Uh, This weekend, I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm actually, for the first time in a year and a half, I'm getting on an airplane and going to do a date out of town uh, up in the Sacramento area. So on Friday night at 5 o'clock California time, I'm going to be in front of a laptop trying to do this Facebook live stream on the road. And uh, that's going to be fun, because who knows? We're working without a net here, so we'll see if we can make it happen.
1: Has, has it been interesting to you to, to see how 30-plus years later, songs you wrote still deeply, profoundly connect with people who are tuning in and watching this and, and being washed with the music that you're doing over a live stream?
2: You know, Bob, I, I mean, again, there, you know, there's that, that part of me that appreciates the, the goodwill and the friendship and the attention and all that kind of stuff. But, and I, and, and, you know, this, the, this, the not-so-secret uh, thing about this whole thing is it it's probably more meaningful and does more for me than it does for anybody who tunes in. I'm just happy to still have a purpose and happy to still uh, be able to play and sing and, and serve people with these songs. But the fact is, before I was ever a guy who made music, I was a music fan. And so I still have songs and albums and artists and stuff that I pay attention to 40, 50 years down the line, and this music still resonates, not just in a nostalgic way. It's not just that I remember what I was doing or what season of my life was going on when I first heard this song, but the song still continues to resonate down through the decades. And, you know, what I tell people is that I'm making soundtrack music for a movie that I am not directing. Hmm. And, um, you know, if you're fortunate as a communicator, whether inside the church or outside the church, if you communicate for a living in whatever form, music, film, author, dance, sculpting, whatever it takes, um, if if you can, you know, if people can find a place for themselves in, in what you're doing... That's the ultimate compliment, because uh, the audience is always the arbiter of what is meaningful, and, um, and they get to decide whether you've done something that bears up over a long period of time or whether it's just a fluffy piece of cotton candy that, that winds up in the oldies bin later on. I mean, that's, that's the decision of the audience. That's not a call that I get to make.
1: But a song, a song like Lord of the Past is one of those songs that no matter when I hear it um it's fresh for me because I have a new past to have to g- grapple with every time I hear it and so it continues to minister and as you were talking I was thinking about James Taylor's song That's Why I'm Here which is pretty much similar oh, yeah, to yeah. your it, it's similar to your song Singing for My Life um this is what you're here to do this is your divine assignment is to to write and create and to use these offerings to to minister to all of us in some ways um not unlike a preacher who puts a message together and then preaches it for the good of the body that's what you do with your songs
2: well yes i have i have an intersection with that calling what i kind of tell people um is that I believe, as as all people of, of, of Christian faith are, that I'm a minister with a lowercase m. I'm not a minister in the sense that I'm not a vocational minister, pastor of a church, or a teacher or anything. <clears throat> but just like everyone else, I have a I have work that I do in a sphere of influence, and, and so, you know, hopefully something that I do um, will involve in some type of ministry or service to other people. But and I hope this is not uh, too uh, deep in the weeds of a distinction, because uh, it might sound funny to, to some, but what I tell people, though, is that my job is to communicate first, and then the ministry part of it will be the organic, if I do my job right, that will be the organic result of what I've done. So if you, if you look upon any artistic endeavor as being on the left side of an equal sign, and on the right-hand side of the equal sign, you have the word ministry— i don't I don't worry as much about what happens on the right hand side of the equal side equal side I attend to the left of what's going on and 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 I'm attentive to the whole equation but if i if I do my job properly then then that true communication will hopefully be something that spirit of God can use to accomplish all the deep work that i can't do so i I'm not trying to let myself off the hook for any type of uh you know, obligation as a Christian or a lowercase M yeah, minister or anything like that. But I I attend to I attend to the artistic communication and 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 then pray that God will do the ministry as he sees fit through something I might have I might have had a part in.
1: We're talking to Bob Bennett this afternoon on KKLA Live, talking about the early days of Christian music, about his involvement in that his continuing work now almost forty. Well, I guess it's been, it's been more than forty years since your first. It's, we're
2: we're at the, we're at the forty-two year mark for uh, first things first coming out.
1: Man, man, that I'm, I'm feeling. I, we're <laughs> so some of you I <laughs> know yeah, who you, are. You... Go ahead, Bob.
2: No, 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 no. I was just, just going to say I look. I look at. Sometimes, I, you know, I'll run across the album artwork or something. And I go, who is that young, clueless guy with the hairline? <laughs> um, <laughs> <you
1: know. laughs> Some of you have uh, have been around that long listening to Bob, and you're welcome to join us in the conversation this afternoon at eight 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 fifty two 52 talks 888-528-2557. That's the number to call if you'd like to join us on Southern California Live Uh, As we continue the conversation with Bob Bennett,
3: we'll be back in just a minute. What a wonderful hymn! What a wonderful hymn arrangement,
1: Bob Bennett. Singer, songwriter, didn't write the song, but what a great arrangement of that classic hymn. Bob joining us this afternoon on KKLA, on, KKLA, on uh, Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine, and we're going to take some phone calls. we got some folks who are joining us at eight 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 fifty two talks eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. 2557 Judy is up first. Judy, say hi to Bob Bennett. Hi, this is K-
3: Judy K- Bennett. Hi, Judy. Are we related, do you think, maybe?
2: You know, there's so many Bennett's out there, I'm not quite sure. My Bennett's oh, from, from from Missouri, so, uh, but there's a lot of us out there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with the Chosen family, and I was excited to hear you say that you're a, a new fan. And I also sent a message to Dallas Jenkins when I heard you guys talking about your Come and See song.
2: Well, thank you kindly. I, there I, you go. The, you the know, breakthrough
1: we were looking for here, Bob.
3: <laughs> well, Judy, what's your role well, with The Chosen? Very, very, I'm one of the very, very first investors.
1: One of the first investors.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, well, my goodness. Yeah. Th- I mean, if if for, if for some reason the audience has been in a cave, as I was for a little while and hadn't heard of this, you need to go look it up, and it's, it's a very – the stories are not only impressive, what they're putting on the screen, but the stories behind the scenes are really, really amazing as to how this project has come to be and financed. And I think it's an incredible model for uh, for what we might, you know, what we might be able to do in the future with so- these sorts of things. Judy, I think
1: you... Well,
3: did you, know, did you know the composers are from Jars of Clay? Do you remember the band Jars of Clay?
2: I do, I do, and I do. I did recognize those names.
3: Yeah, Dan Hazeltine and Matthew Nelson, and they're on Instagram all the time. You should just Instagram them and tell them about your song, or I will.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, honey. I, I really appreciate that. That's a very kind thing for you to do. And I, I uh, you know, again, I, you know, it's, it's, it. I know there's, there's that part of me that that you know they will
3: like hi I'm a guy with a
2: song you know I'm sure that they are besieged with a, a thousand communications in that direction so I'm just hoping if it, if anything is supposed to happen in one way or another that the lord would just kind of you know that it would be a natural it would be a not creepy thing <laughs> I guess is what I'm what I'm after <laughs>
3: Will you tell Bob Lapine that I'm after Aleister Beck to please watch the chosen? He refuses to watch it. And I'm an Alistair Beck fan, but he just will not
1: watch The Chosen. I, I will uh, I'll put in a word with, with uh Alistair on, on your behalf, Judy. I think you've invested well and certainly God has been using the chosen in the lives of uh, of so many. So thanks for calling in. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. And uh, and Bob maybe maybe the song will get to dallas you know who knows who knows the power of christian radio to make these things happen judy thanks for joining us um bob i want to go back to to the subject of songwriting i know that the the 70s and the 80s were a prolific time for you are you still crafting songs today
2: yes yeah i still I'm, i'm i'm a little bit slower output maybe but um but yes, I still am completely, both as a, both as a listener and as a creator of songs, I'm still in with both feet. Um, you know, perhaps haiku is the only verbal art form that is more concise than a, than a well-crafted song lyric. And so I, I just love that part of it. Yes. And, um, you know uh, you know the kids the kids don't release albums anymore they release tracks and things like that and i've got a bunch of people whispering in my ear to join the join the 21st century and release a few individual songs and not wait for the whole album we'll we'll see we'll see and, how
3: that
1: goes <laughs> do you write now when an idea hits you or do you set aside days and times to sit down and work on a song
2: i wish it were the latter but it has a tendency to be the former i have a got tendency it. to uh, what I do is I incubate ideas for a while, or if something is crossing my radar, if I'm thinking about something, talking about something, it keeps kind of cropping up, then that bubbling under kind of indicates to me that there might be song material there, and um, and then I'll write. Now, once I've got the idea down, then then I'm on the hunt, you know, the, the sort of the craft guy takes over, and, and you roll up your sleeves and try to make sure that all the that in a a creative sense that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and you've done something as succinctly and as well as you can. Um, So uh, I I wish I were more the guy who sits down as an author and, you know, knocks out 30 pages and then calls it a day. But I have a tendency to be a little more up and down than that. Got
1: it. I I want to go back to where we started talking about those early days, in Southern California at Costa Mesa when you were going on Saturday nights to the concerts that were there and eventually uh, playing and performing in those concerts and people hearing you and, and you were recording with Maranatha in those early days, not only your solo albums, but you were a part of some of the early uh, praise albums that Maranatha did, right?
2: Yep. Yep. I was among the, amongst the chorus of musicians and singers that were involved in some of those things, the early ones.
1: So my, my question is, seeing what was going on, I mean, everybody who was coming to the concerts and and buying the records and just hearing the music, we were kind of aware of the airbrushed side of it. You were seeing how the sausage gets made, which is is sometimes... There are some people who have had their faith shipwrecked by by seeing how it all comes together. Was it ever something for you where it it was was a jarring experience for you from a faith perspective?
2: Well, yeah, but I, what it, I mean, I'm happy to report that it, it it didn't shipwreck my faith as it might have with some, and I totally understand. I know some people who got tremendously hurt. Um, and I think some of it has to do with just the nature of the business itself. It can't be, you know, it's not, it can't be changed. It can't be taken out of the, the sequence of events. But the other thing is though, is I think that we, um, had unrealistic expectations of what a company might be able to do for us or what, who is responsible for what. Um, and that, and, and again, I, I, it becomes especially difficult to talk about because if if you for, for the best of reasons, if you want to do something that is in the eye of the public, and you want it to be on a larger scale, and you want to do what what the you know all the all the music that you have in your collection, and all the songs and names that you know by heart, if you want to try to play on that team and at that level, um, it, it can be confusing because just like sometimes you can mistake wonderful romantic feelings for the spirit of God and which Christian young guy has not done that, right? Which (laughs) guy hasn't mistaken his hormones for the Holy spirit that happens from time (laughs) to time. Folks hate to be a shocker. Well, sometimes in the, in the pursuit of arts and stuff, we can, we can assume a mantle that we may not have. Um, We can assume a calling that may not, it, it may not take that form. Um, it may take another form altogether. So I think that might have contributed to some of the some of the disconnect because we would have unrealistic expectations of what we were doing, and and who could help us and who couldn't. Um, in in music business terms, uh, people's enthusiasm and support are usually coterminous with your contracts. And you know, rather than get all bent up, bent out of shape about how worldly and ungodly it is i mean you know that's i think that's too broad a a brush too easy a diagnosis you just realize that's that's what you're getting in if you're a christian and you're going to get into major league baseball there are certain ways that things are done and you're going to be congruent with some of those things and other things are going to be a little tougher to take and uh, so it is with a a larger scale presence on the the cultural stage you know with music
1: some people's Idealism there though it can be so large that when they see anything that that looks cynical, um, it causes them to shipwreck. You you had to come to a point where you said, "No, I'm 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 just going to be true to what God's calling me to do, and be be the man God's called me to be, and just kind of let things happen." Right.
2: Well, and, I, and again, I don't mean I don't mean to assign false virtue to myself because I've. I've, you know, behind the scenes, Bob, I've had the, why did that happen to that guy? And why can't I do this? And, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a whiner from a long line of whiners, but the thing is I decided at a certain point that I wanted my artistic expression to be done in such a way to where it didn't matter one way or another what the accountant thought or the A&R guy thought or the label thought or whatever. And thank goodness, you know, for all of the uh, uh, trap doors of our current connected culture on the Internet and social media and all that, for all of that, um, this is an amazing time to be a do-it-yourself guy. Yeah, Bob, um, i got to I jump in here. I, I, wish,
1: I wish we could continue the conversation, but we're out of time. Thanks to Bob Bennett for joining us. Thanks to all of you. We'll, we'll see you again on, on Southern
0: California Live